good to see you all. Why don't we find a seat, please, and please find your Bible, or a Bible, everybody, including kids, find a Bible, and open with me to Matthew chapter 1. If you're visiting with us this morning, it's good to see some new faces here. My name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I'd like to add my welcome to Pastor John's from earlier here. Matthew chapter 1, please. Today is the last day of the Advent season, the hinge point between Advent and Christmas, Christmas Eve is. So I thought, I thought we'd base this morning's sermon, even though it's sort of the tail end of the Exodus series, I thought I would base it this morning in the first Christmas passage. So let's read this great story's familiar words to many of us who grew up in the West in an American household. You've probably heard these at some point, and if not, that's great. Listen carefully. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what, she has, what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her, but they did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. This past semester, we've been preaching through the book of Exodus, the last 20 weeks, and in so doing, I, I really became fascinated with this idea of God with us, of God's nearness to his people. It's a mega theme in Exodus. It's a mega theme throughout the Bible. At the beginning of Exodus, God's people, Israel at that point, were trapped in slavery in Egypt. And they cry out to God who, if if you're reading it, you get the sense that God really is distant. He's out there. And they're crying out to God who is out there. We are here without you and we need your help. And there's this really interesting moment in the narrative, where God says, I have heard the cries of my people, I know their situation, and I have come down to rescue them. I have come down to rescue them. And the book ends, last week we read Exodus chapter 40, it ends with God finally coming to dwell in the camp, to dwell in the tabernacle, in the midst of his people, right there in the middle of the whole nation. And so this morning, these two themes, they seem to collide for me, because it's on Christmas Eve that, it's on Christmas Day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming into the world of God incarnate, God in the flesh, in Jesus. And this idea of God 
coming to his people is throughout the entire Bible. I'd like to talk about this idea of God with us this morning. This, this, um, this, this is the central message of Christmas. I want to show you just real quick, a, a real quick walkthrough of the whole Bible, just fast. You know, I'm going to just flip through the Bible fast. God with us is this mega theme in creation. Genesis 3 tells us that at the very beginning, God, when he created the garden before man fell into sin, at, uh, God walked in that garden where Adam and Eve lived. We don't know necessarily if Adam and God walked alongside each other. That, that isn't really ever said explicitly, but you get the idea. We definitely see God walking in the garden and Adam and Eve recognizing that he's doing that. He was there with them in the garden. One of the major consequences of the fall is separation. Separation from God. This, this anti-nearness to God. Adam and Eve's disobedience against God, their sin against God, causes them to be expelled from the garden. But what's significant about that is that they're expelled from God's presence. They're expelled from his nearness. They're expelled from being with God. And we fast forward then to where we have just been this last semester in Exodus, and we see the giving of the law where God sets up a system whereby his people can once again be with him through a system of sacrifices and observance and repentance and approaching with humility. He could once again dwell in the tabernacle in the middle of his people. And then the rest of the Old Testament, if you take this, the rest of this book right here, throughout it, the prophets are proclaiming a day, looking forward to a day, the day of the Lord when he returns to visit judgment on all those who reject and despise him and restore justice and peace for all those who have faith in him, all those who trust him, all those who love him and desire him. And then today, and in the Christmas season, we celebrate the good news of the gospel that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, changed everything 2,000 years ago. He changed everything at the event that we celebrate at Christmas in his birth, the birth of God's chosen one, the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus means Savior. He's also called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God came down in Jesus to rescue his people from their sins so that we could once again be with our loving creator. And finally, at the end, of the, the very end of the book, we get to see the end. We know, we know what's coming at the end, the book ends in Revelation. At the finale of the book, is, and the goal of everything that's happening, the goal is finally God's heaven coming down to earth. God, once again, with his people, dwelling in their midst. The, very, the last pronouncement, the second to last pronouncement, the penultimate pronouncement, is the dwelling place of God is now with man. The ultimate announcement is, I'm coming soon. So this theme, this idea of God with us that we celebrate so closely at Christmas time, we put up decorations that say Emmanuel, God with us. We recognize the entry of the Christ into the world, the entry of God born as a baby. That is a theme throughout the entire Bible. It's an inescapable theme if you're preaching through the scriptures. And it got me thinking. And I thought since all the kids are in here with us this morning, I'd structure the rest of my sermon around a highly complex philosophical inquiry. 
I thought that would really grab their attention and hold it. Because theologians, and you've probably even heard this, say that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Not just theologians say that. I'm going to show you in a second. The Bible says that. You've probably heard that the Bible teaches that God is everywhere, and he is. But if that's the case, what's the big deal about God being with us? What's the big deal about God coming to us at Christmas? If he's everywhere, why does it matter, and how is it relevant that he's coming to us? In Acts 17, Paul says to the people in Athens, he says, he's not far from any one of you. So what's the big deal about Christmas? What's the big deal about God dwelling with people? Isn't he everywhere? If you're in first grade, can you say the word omniscient with me? I'm sorry, omnipresent, omnipresent. Let's see, say it all together, omnipresent. It's a big word. It's kind of like photosynthesis. Have you ever seen the show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? I'm not. (laughs) Omnipresence seems like a big word, but it's not. It just means everywhere. It just means everywhere. How is that special? Well, I want to show you this morning that the Bible describes God as both near, omnipresent, and far. And it's the relationship and that, that seeming tension or contradiction in the Bible that gets really interesting. It's the way the Bible teaches us and the way the Bible shows us that God is near to us, with us, very close to us, coming to us, and the way that he is far from us that teaches us something very important. And as we look at these passages and we see God being near and God being far, let's pay attention to who he is near to, and who he is far from. Let's take a look. The first thing I want to show you is that the Bible teaches that God is far above everything. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen. It says this, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy or special, separate, unique, set apart. I dwell in a high and holy place. And also with he who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And this is just one of many verses that describe God's nearness and his farness. At the same time, God is high above, far above all creation. He's separate from it. He's not, he is not his creation. There's some, there are some religions out there, there are some theologies out there that says God is in everything around us. He's in this fake tree. They probably, I don't know if they'd say he's in a fake tree, but... The real ones. He's in the tree. He's in the rock. He's in the earth. He's in the water. He's in the sky. He's in the sun. That's not what we mean. The Bible teaches that God is above that. He is far separated. He is holy. He is away from it. It is his creation, not him. It's also where we get our idea of God being outside time, by the way. God dwells in eternity. 
He's not only omnipresent in space everywhere, he's omnipresent in time every time. He's able to act in time and space at any point, is how it's put. He inhabits eternity. Another way, another way to say that is that God is beyond our way of being. God's way of being is different from our way of being. He's in a different category. He's in a different class. He's altogether above us and different from us. But this verse and many others like it also say that he is simultaneously high above, far above, but also near to us when we need him most and when we're humble and vulnerable. He's not a distant God ignoring his creation. He is a big God. He's not a distant God. He's a big God. That's what the deists had wrong. Our founding fathers had this wrong. They thought of him as a clockmaker God. He set creation into order, and now it's just doing its thing. And he's kind of stepped back, and every now and then he jumps in and maybe tweaks something. It's not it. And they, they thought that because of these verses that say he's high and holy and beyond and all of those things. But the thing we're supposed to take away from that is not God's distance, but his bigness. His bigness. God is very big. But he's also a personal God who knows you. He sees you personally. He's big and he's close. God is far above all. The next thing we see that he is far from is that he is far from the wicked. Isaiah 59. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it can't save or his ear dull that he can't hear. He gets it. He can do things and he can hear things. But here's the problem. Verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And this is one of many passages that shows us that we have separated ourselves from our loving creator by our sin. We saw it in the garden at the very beginning when we disobeyed him and so needed to be expelled from his presence. We see it here that our sins have made a separation between us and God. We see elsewhere in the Bible that we are all in this category. Every single human who has ever lived in this category Separate from God, our sins have made a separation. But here's some good news. The Bible also teaches that God is near to the righteous. Proverbs is just one of many verses that says this. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Who is it whose prayers God hears? Whose prayers does God hear? The righteous. Who is it that he's near? The righteous. Those who are right with him. That's what that word righteous means. Right with him. And those who do right and who want right. We need to be right with God in order for him to hear our prayers. Not because he's deaf, but because we have removed ourselves. We have separated ourselves from him in our wickedness. This is how and when God is close to us, when we are righteous. Not only 
when we are made righteous. He is close to us. Not only that, but God, in fact, is inseparable from his people. That's the next thing I want you to see. God is inseparable from his people. When we are made righteous, we become his people. When we are made righteous, we'll talk about being made righteous in a second, but when we are made righteous, we become his people. And when we are his people, not only does he hear our prayers and is near to us, but he is with his people and nothing can separate his people from him. Psalm 139, we see this from David. It's interesting, this psalm is kind of written in the context of David going, oh no, (laughs) where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of them, I fly away to the edge of the ocean, even there your hand leads me and your right hand shall hold me. It's kind of a fearful thought if you're trying to get away from God, isn't it? He's not going to let you go if you're his people. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you down. Another very famous passage, Romans 8, says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? I think sometimes Christians, those who, those who consider themselves believers in, in, in Jesus, we go through seasons where we're like, I just want to ignore this. Or we go through seasons where we are afraid that God may have abandoned us. I wonder if you can relate to either of those two categories, that maybe God hates me now. Maybe I've screwed up one too many times. Maybe this thing I'm going through means God does not care about me. If he cared about me, why am I still sick? If he cared about me, why am I still poor? If he cared about me, why is there still war going on in my hometown? If, if he cared about me, why is my family in prison? Romans asks, answers that question. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can those things separate us? No, in all these things, in all these things, we are conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We are very conquerors. Hyper-conquerors is the Greek. (laughs) Hyper-conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life Angels or rulers or things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, not even ourselves, I think, is in there. You're a created thing, right? Can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with his people through every kind of suffering. He'll never give up on them. He'll never leave them or abandon them. He will rescue them. His people have eternal life coming. Sickness, famine, persecution, and even death can strike us down in this life, and they might. It's one of the few things Star Wars got right. If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> That's not canon, so I mean, well, it is, but not this canon. God's people, those who he is close to, have eternal life. All of those things, sickness, death, famine, may strike us down, but only temporarily. And then we get to live with him forever. What a wonderful place to be. 
What an amazing place to be with your loving, all-powerful, good, wise creator for eternity. Wouldn't that be great? But if he's far from the wicked and we are all wicked, that seems like a problem. So here's another piece of good news. God is far from the wicked. He is high above all things, but he is reachable by anyone. Draw near to him in faith and repentance and he will be found by you. He promises that. Some of you in here, some of you in this room, some of you maybe watching a live stream, you don't know who this God is that I'm talking about. This God sounds unfamiliar to you or strange to you. Maybe you're here this morning because of sentimental or traditional reasons. Maybe a friend you respect invited you and so you thought you'd come and see what this is all about. But maybe you've lost sight of or never had sight of in the first place the central reason this holiday, Christmas, exists in the first place. What is Christmas all about? It's about Emmanuel, God with us. It's about God drawing near to us. The Apostle Paul spoke to a group of people who didn't know this God that I'm talking about. He did it in Acts 17. I alluded to it earlier. I think this is a pretty good, a pretty good starting point. Paul, it's Acts 17 verse 22 says that Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus. It was just a place where people liked to get around and talk about things. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I'm going to tell you about. This I proclaim to you. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in shrines made by human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needs anything. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything. He doesn't need anything. He's got it all. He made it all. Anything you could have to give him already is his. Verse 26, from one man, Adam, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and he has determined their appointed times, in some other translations say, the exact time and place where they would live. He has determined, God has determined the exact time and place you would live. God put you here and now for a reason. What reason, for what reason are you right here, right now? And the answer is, so that you might seek God. And perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is not far from any one of us in the sense of being able to be known by everyone. Some of you here this morning are far off from God, but he is not that far from you.
How can we be near this God in the way that he wants us to be? Well, we saw that God is far from the wicked. And some of you here this morning are in that spot. All of us here this morning have been in that spot. All of us have fallen short of God's glory through our selfishness, through our disobedience and our unbelief in this God. We also saw this morning that God is near to the righteous. And even though every one of us falls short, the good news is he's not far from any one of us and any one of us can be made righteous. How? Well, through faith in Christ's work on the cross for you. Let's look at Romans 3. This righteousness that we're talking about, God is near to the righteousness, God is near to the righteous. This righteousness we're talking about, verse 22, this righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction between people. There's not a special kind of person that gets this and other kinds of people that don't. That's what that means. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Would you be righteous? Would you be close to God? You can be through faith because of Jesus' redeeming work. It goes on in that same argument in Romans chapter 10, a few chapters later, how it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you actually believe in your heart. This is the hard part. It's easy to say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You can utter those words. It's possible to do. The hard part is believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He is who he says he is in this book. If those two things, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be. That's a pretty good promise. When we trust Jesus Christ for that salvation, when we submit our whole lives to him as Lord, that's what we mean when we see Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is Master. Jesus is Commander now. Jesus is my King now. When we submit our whole life to him as Lord, follow, what does that mean? Following his commands, following his ways. Brad's going to talk more about this next week. Please come back and hear about that. When that happens, we are given righteousness as a gift. Nearness to God as a gift. So near, that nearness is so close, in fact, that the Bible describes it as God being sealed inside of us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is your down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession, the praise of the glory. Someday you're going to get eternal life in glory, sin-free, pain-free, sickness-free, death-free, eternal life on a sin-free, pain-free, death-free earth for the rest of eternity with God. And until then, we get a down payment. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and guides us and comforts us and he teaches us and he corrects us. It's a good life. I highly recommend it. 
why does God do this? Why does God save anyone? Why does God offer this? We rebelled against him. Shouldn't he have been done with us? We saw in Exodus, God's little conversation with Moses. I'm going to wipe all them out and start over with you. That was a fun little gambit. I'm not sure God was like just angry and ready to annihilate the nation. I think he was doing something for us and for Moses with that. But he was ready to judge at that point. Moses said, please delay. Take me instead. And he goes, all right. Foreshadowing of Jesus. Why does God save people? Well, Ephesians goes on to tell us. My favorite passage in the entire Bible, by the way. If you had to ask me to preach on one passage for the rest of my life, it would be Ephesians chapter 2. And then also 6. Probably 4 as well. (laughs) And then you'd have to have 1 and 3, 5, so. But if I had to pick one chapter, it would be the first half of Ephesians chapter 2. Who's the you? He's talking about, and you. You were, you were dead. Who's the you? The you is you. <laughs> it's you. It's me. It's, it's us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. That's Satan, by the way. You were, you were being led astray by your, uh, the world's influence on you, the devil's influence on you, the spirit now working in the disobedience. We all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So it's not just the devil's fault. You were also doing the thing you wanted to do. We're carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts, and we were, by nature, children under wrath, just like everyone else. Who's the you in this passage? Everyone. Something had to happen. That's where you were. That's where I was. That's where some of you still are. The best two words in the Bible come next. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. That's why we light a love candle. It's not Disney love. It's not Hallmark movie love. It's this love. Because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why does he save people? Because he loves them. Because he loves them so much that he sent his only son Jesus. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. It goes on, you've been saved by grace through faith, not, this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, it's not from your works so that you can't brag about it. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we have, we're saved to do something, we're saved now to submit our whole lives to him as, Lord, Lord, tell me what to do, and he's got stuff for us to do. This week's Advent candle, the love candle, when we lit it and read the simple truth from John 3.16 that God showed his love for the whole world this way by sending his son. That's the message of Christmas. And I hope this message sticks with you. And I hope you find yourself among his people 
so that he is near this Christmas season. And for those of you who have been sitting here this whole time going, boy, I wish so-and-so could be hearing this right now. Let this be a reminder and encouragement to you of the great gift that you received when you, when you had faith in Christ. And if you were thinking, man, so-and-so really needed to hear this, maybe this is a prompt for you to deliver that message to that person. Don't email them the link to this video. <laughs> maybe that's fine. For whatever, do that. That's okay. But I think it'll be received better coming from someone they know and care about and know cares about them. So if you want a little framework for what to share with the people who you think, boy, I wish they would have heard that this morning, just you can download the notes and copy it, make it your own, I won't complain. And for all of us this morning, let's pray and let's thank God for the good gift of his presence with us through Jesus. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. You are so good that you came down to rescue us. You took on flesh, became one of us. You cried and whined and couldn't speak and you fussed and you had to eat and you had to have your diapers changed. And What an amazing truth. You went through everything in your lifetime Every kind of thing that we can go through, you went through. You know us. You've seen us. You've heard us. You still do. Lord, help us to marvel. Help us to marvel that the God who is high, far and above, dwelling in eternity, that's omnipresent everywhere, is also personally close with his people. Lord, if there are any here that aren't close, would you draw them to yourself? Would you help them draw near to you? In Jesus' name.